come sit down. Peter, Chris, come on. This is gonna be really fun. Fun? This is agony. Why are you torturing me like this? The church asked us to go through this devotional and we're gonna do it, okay? If the church jumped off a cliff, would you go ahead and do that too? That doesn't even make any sense. Exactly, in your face. <laughs> okay, so this week it's talking about giving. Oh, and the fun begins. <laughs> the question is, are you a spontaneous or a systematic giver? Well, I know that I'm systematic. And I'm obviously a spontaneous giver. Wait, what's the difference? Well, they're both great ways to give. But the difference is, son, spontaneous giving is for fun people. <laughs> systematic giving is for tyrants that like to suck all the joy out of life. Oh, Chris, stop it. You see, son, I like to budget where our money goes. It helps me make sure that I'm tithing what I should be. And I like, I like to let the Spirit lead me to spontaneously give to those that are in need. So, like the homeless guy we saw in church? Exactly. Just like the homeless guy we saw on the way to church. Now, see, if I were kind of like a robot, systematically tithing, beep, boop, bop, bit, we wouldn't have enough money to help out that poor, unfortunate, downtrodden man. You gave him 93 cents. It's 93 cents more than you gave him, Robotron. So how do you keep track of what you give? Ah, it's all right up here, buddy. All right, take for instance, a month ago, I had this, uh, this, this group of sweet little girls come to our door asking for donations, and I generously and spontaneously donated $24 to help them out. Your mom says we didn't have enough money to actually do that, but I felt compelled to bless them with a the little gift of love. They were the Girl Scouts, and you bought eight boxes of Thin Mint cookies. I was helping out Troop 532. Okay, okay. Your father does make a good point. It's important to be able to help people out if the need arises. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah and... Ugh, all right. And... Uh, I guess your mom kind of has a good point, too. Systematically giving does help, you know, grow your, your ability to give. Thank you, dear. Wait, so if you donated 10% last month and you gave $24, was that all? No, no. There was that 93 cents. <laughs> so that brings it, the total up to closer to like $25. And look, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm doing the best I can. Dressing up as the Red Robin Chicken isn't as lucrative as it used to be. You're doing fine, hun, and you're setting a good example for our son by kind of giving away 10% of your income to the uh, Girl Scouts. That was actually more like 37%. 37%? Job, Dad. Hey, thanks, buddy. Hey, looks like someone may get some ranch to dip those free steak fries from Red Robin in tonight. <laughs> Wait, so you actually gave $24 to Girl Scouts? Well, of course I did. It was pure, honest generosity on my part. I don't even really like cookies in the first place. Well, that's a relief because my school was having this food drive and I gave them four boxes of your cookies. You did what? <laughs> you gave away my sweet chocolate minty goodness? <laughs> Starving people don't need sugar. They need canned beets and spam. No. 
was just being he was just being spontaneous, you know, like a fun person with no, you. I hate irony. <laughs> Many of you don't know, oh, hello. Many of you don't know, um, uh, Chris, you actually do dress yourself up as the Red Robin chicken? That's a vicious rumor. That's a vicious rumor, yeah. <laughs> well, good morning. So, um, so what kind of person are you? Not, uh, not just what kind of giver, but um, what kind of person are you from the skit this morning? Are you a... Are you a systematic person, or are you a spontaneous person? Just in general, you know, which way do you lean? I find that uh, people usually lean one way or the other. We're all probably a collection of both, but which way do you lean? Are you systematic in how you go about your life, or are you more spontaneous? Here's a, here's a quick test. Um, See where you fall. Let's say um, you order a new computer and you send away for it in the mail and it comes to your house in one of those boxes, right? You get home, you see it by the door and you think, yes, my new computer is here. And as you get the box and you open it up, you look in there and you see one of the most organized and ordered boxes in your whole life, right? It's got the little styrofoam bumpers. It's got, it has boxes within boxes with stuff wrapped in, wrapped in plastic. And when you see that order in that box, does that somehow just warm your soul? You go, oh, yeah, look at it in there. That's good. How many, uh, that's little Tim the Toolman Taylor for those who, yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. When you look at that and you start, like, all that organization, you just want to like get that out of there. And is it, uh, is it a pain undoing the plastic? And then you got all this uh, it's, um, little twisty tie things that uh, you know are supposed to be a security device I get. But for the life of you, you can't get it until you get a chainsaw. And, and, and you see all of that, does it kind of bother you? Can't you just wait to just kind of get it out and mess it up? Yeah, see, I hear exactly from both sides. And then, and then when you finally liberate the contents from uh, its box, what do you reach for first? A screwdriver. Okay. <laughs> do you reach for, how many of you reach for the manual, the instruction manual first, right? Okay, or... Or if you're more spontaneous, how many, where is that power cord? You just plug it in. Right? And then when the thing flickers to life and you're looking at the screen, you know, how many of you, you know, just start pointing and clicking? And then how many of you instead, it's like, wait! You know, you either have the manual or I guess now it's on screen. You like meticulously follow those setup steps because you know if you get one wrong, you'll like reconfigure the whole thing and your screen will be like this big in the middle. <laughs> Good comedy routine one time. In fact, I did this with a friend of mine. I, I tend to be a read the manual kind of guy and we were setting up his computer and he was a point and click person. We almost came to blows. 
Because he was like, what next, what next? Like, well, just a minute. It's, you know, if this happens, then this happens. And he just starts pointing and clicking. I'm like, stop it. You're going to, like, break the thing. Are you uh, systematic or are you more spontaneous? Um, how about this one? How many of you have ever read or even know where it is? How many of you have ever read or you know where the little instruction manual to your smartphone is? Okay, well, how many, how many of you like ever read that thing? See, it's interesting. There's a little bit of generational stuff going on here. I don't think a single teen... How about this one? How many of you kept that cool little box that that phone comes in? <laughs> yeah, even the kids get, it's like thicker. It's got that tab, and you say, oh, I'm going to use that for something. <laughs> and then it sits there and collects dust on the shelf for like 10 years, right? Well, no, about a year and a half when these phones are designed to implode and make you buy another one, right? About six months before your contract runs up, Yeah. Or how about this one? Let's say you're going on a trip and you're leaving really early the next morning going to the airport. Do you, before you go to bed, lay out the clothes you're going to wear? Or, or do you save that for the morning? And when you do lay out your clothes, if you're a lay-your-clothes-outer, do you include in the pile of what to wear your underwear and socks? See, we, we get uh, uh, deeply personal here at West Ball. <laughs> it's a community church. <laughs> Speaking of air travel, does the thought of flying standby, if it saves you a few dollars, thrill you, or does it begin this slow ache in the pit of your stomach? Or how about uh, when you're sitting in uh, the exit gate, and uh, this never happens. The flight is overbooked. And then the attendant gets on. Yes, uh, the flight is overbooked. And uh, if anyone's willing to give up their seat for a later flight, I have a $200 travel voucher. How many of you volunteer to take that later flight? And how many of you are like, no way. I know what's going to happen. I take that later flight. It will be canceled. It may crash. Oh, oh. Shouldn't even say that. <laughs> or you're so systematic, you know when that, you know, you, you know when that plane's gonna hit the ground. You've checked on the internet ten times. It's gonna get there at 8:12, and then it'll take me about five minutes to walk to the baggage claim, another 20 to get my bags, and I've got to be there at Are you systematic or are you more spontaneous in who you are, really? How about this test? If I asked you, if I came up to you with a mic, I won't, but if I asked you for this coming week, how many hours in your coming week are planned already? Most of them? Hardly any of them? Is it just kind of in general? Everybody reaching for their smartphones now because I just reminded you of all you have to do this week, right? Oh, Monday and... How many, how many of your hours are planned? Well, whether you are um, systematic, whether you are uh, more spontaneous in, in how you live life, uh, there's good news. And the good news is that God 
is in desperate need of us all, both systematic and spontaneous. If you're visiting, we've been traveling a bit on what we're calling a journey to generosity and developing a a, a spirit of giving. And as soon as you say giving, as soon as you say generosity, often the first thing that comes to mind is money. And while this includes money, it shouldn't be the first thing that comes to mind because it's about something far more deeper than our money, far more deeper. I mean, consider this. Jesus, the most generous person who ever lived, and he didn't have much, if any, money at all. Go figure. And so we've been looking at what it might be like, or how is it that we can partner with God and given his grace, through his grace this is only possible, and develop that same kind of just sort of spirit of giving, that magnanimous person that you all know when you're in the presence of someone who's just this giving, helpful person. How can we develop that? So we've been on this journey to that type of generosity, that spirit of giving. And so far, so far, uh, the stops we've made on the journey, we've seen that in order to develop the spirit of giving, we first and foremost need to submit all we are and all we have to God. It all belongs to God. I belong to God. Anything I happen to be talented at belongs to God. Certainly all my stuff belongs to God. My life is not my own, but My life belongs to God. I'm living God's life is the first step. And as we get there, at the same time, God gives us this remarkable guide for us to study, a guidebook for living life. And we'll find in this book from Genesis through Revelation lots and lots and lots about this spirit of giving and how to live life. So we studied the scriptures and One thing we find in the scriptures, another stop in our journey to generosity is we need to take the time to self-assess or even to ask those around us to assess and ask them questions like, well, what are we good at? So, So we get a sense and we can see what God has provided for us to give. And when we see what those things are, then we can take that step, the next step on the journey of, well, setting aside some of those resources to give. The next two steps on the journey I want to cover with you briefly this morning, and and those two steps are now that we've done that all, how is it then that we should go about setting aside what God has provided us to give? Should we have a system, or should we be more serendipitous? Should we give spontaneously? And the answer, you saw it in the skit, you know where I'm going because it's two stops, is the answer is, is both. And I want to talk about systematic giving first because as the skit kind of um, a set for us in tone, um, I think our culture today tends to feel that somehow things that are systematic, especially when it comes to the giving of ourselves in our time, that that's somehow bad or something. I mean, even that word... It sounds heavier. It sounds like a word you trudge along with, doesn't it? I mean, would you rather be systematic or spontaneous? You say, well, you stack the deck, Pastor, if you say it like that. 
Well, let me try to reverse it and see if it sounds funny to you. Would you rather be spontaneous or would you rather be systematic? <laughs> see, that, that, that bird don't, that chicken don't fly, right? And that's too bad. And I think it's one of the many ways that our culture pushes against something that is enriching, that is wonderful, that is good for us, and that is every bit as fun as spontaneous giving. And that's systematic giving. The Bible's full of systematic giving. 1 Corinthians 16, Paul tells us, on the first day of every week, he says, on the first day of every week set aside, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Do it the first day of every week. Well, why not just do it once a month, Paul? That'll save me some time. Or why not only at the beginning of the year as I uh, if I'm on salary at least or I can uh, estimate what I'm going to make or uh, if I know what my daily or weekly routine is like, how much of my time I'm going to just give, um, how I can use my talents maybe in a charitable way. Why don't I just do that at the beginning of the year? No, uh, at least once every week. And then Paul says, do it on Sunday. The Lord's Day. Uh, go figure. Now, why would Paul have us do that, or why would he talk about systematic giving, or at least its assessment, on the Lord's Day? Here's why I think, uh, one reason why Paul tells us on that day. And that's because giving of ourselves is first and foremost an act of worship. You ever thought of that? I don't know about you, I asked, in the, I asked in the first service if anyone ever thought about giving or when, uh, when that plate comes around, do you feel like uh, that's the high point or even part of the worship that's going on in the sanctuary on Sunday morning? Or is it more uh, sort of an interruption of the worship of uh, the music and and the spontaneous giving of a band that plays whatever it wants. <laughs> that couldn't have happened on a better Sunday. <laughs> you got the music and its worship. You get some teaching from the Word of God. And you say, well, okay, well, that's worship. But then that giving thing is in the middle. Oh, yeah. It's an act of worship when we give. I came across a lot of cool definitions about worship as I was looking at it. I found that there are about as many definitions of worship as there are people writing definitions of worship. Um, here's one I particularly like. It's from Mark Driscoll. He says, worship is living our life individually and corporately as continuous living sacrifices to the glory of a person or thing. I think that comes really close to what I would 
explain worship as being. I put it shorter. I thought, you know what? Worship really is a giving of ourselves. It's a giving of ourselves. If I wanted to know who or what it is that you worship, I could simply ask this question. Who gets to have you? Who do you belong to? Who has you? Who has your time, your attention, your effort, your money? Who has you? And your answer or answers to that question is also the answer to who it is or what it is do you worship? Second, and it's related, um, when we give as a part of worship, we experience God. It's another reason to do it systematically, because we want to experience God on a regular basis. I know I do. When we give of ourselves, you know, we really enter into a place of God's truest heart. And we come real close to who God actually is. You know, you could do more harm than describe our God to someone who doesn't know him. Our God is the God who gives. He gave existence. He gives life. He gave his own life. You know, John in one of his letters tells us that God is love. He must have been there that day too when Jesus said that in the greatest expression of love, no person has a greater love than this, that that person would give their lives for a friend. And so when God is love and the greatest expression of love is that of giving our lives, God is the giver. And when we take the time to make sure we're systematically given, giving, then we take the time to plan and to make sure that, boy, on regular intervals, I'm going to be right there partnering with God in, in a truest expression of, he is, of who he is, God the giver. I'm sure you've had the experience um, that I have sometimes. People come and um, they'll say something like, maybe your friends and family have said this to you. Maybe you feel it sometimes too. They say, you know, um, I feel distant from God. I don't feel very close to him anymore. Everything used to be alive. I felt like God and I were right there, but I just... I don't see him or feel his presence anymore. One of the questions that I might ask someone or one of the questions I'll ask myself, when's the last time I gave anything to anyone? When's the last time I gave someone my time? When's the last time I helped someone out with a few bucks? Has my systematic giving dried up? And it's interesting. Certainly when I look to myself, and often in those that come with me, one thing, a common thread with people who are feeling distant from God, 
The devil pushes them to a place when they are distant, then they feel distant, then they don't feel like they're motivated to give, and it bogs down. And some of the best advice I can give you, some of the best advice I can give you is when you feel distant from God, make the decision, decide to give someone something. Because when you do that, again, you're at the very truest heart of God. And I'll bet you'll begin to feel and see that he's been there all along and you'll feel closer to him. So we should have a system in place to give. But we should also give spontaneously, and that's the next step on our journey to generosity. A few weeks ago, Nathan Harrison, I think, talked about one of my favorite uh, examples of spontaneous giving. That was that boy with the lunchbox that had five barley loaves and two fish in it, remember? When his mom packed him that lunch that day to go listen to the great rabbi on the hillside talk to thousands, he wasn't planning on giving his lunch away. And then when the disciples found him, or maybe he was close enough to overhear that there was a food problem, he came with his little Batman lunchbox. I don't know, first century Batman, who would that be? I don't his little Hercules lunchbox. No, he was a Jewish boy. It wouldn't be Hercules. His little King David lunchbox. And he said, here. And the disciples went, and I'll paraphrase, and you know what happened. Jesus took a spontaneous gift and at least 5,000 people ate it, and there was some left over. What a fun day that might have been. How about this one? How about um, from Matthew 15, a Canaanite woman from where Jesus was came to Jesus crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter's demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. Interesting. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. It's embarrassing. It's a pain. This is not in the plan. And even Jesus himself, we're told in Hebrews that God helped discipline and train him up in his full humanity. Fully God too, I would die for that. But in his full humanity, you can see a movement in Jesus' ministry from realizing that he didn't only come to seek and save the lost sheep of Israel, but that his sacrifice was bigger. And you see that dawning on Jesus even as he grows and realizes who he is. But he gives her at first, wait a minute, I have a crisis here that's not the system. And he answers her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It's a fascinating statement because we know that's not true. He's learning yet. And she comes right back at him. Woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And again, it's not right. This is not part of the plan. I'm putting words in Jesus' mouth, which is a dangerous thing to do. Let's stick to the text. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It sounds harsher than what it was at the time. But Jesus answers, it's not the system. 
And she comes back at him. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, Daughter, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Even Jesus learned to give spontaneously as well, didn't he? And how about the time that the woman touched his cloak? There's like the ultimate spontaneous gift. He didn't even know he was giving it. He's walking along, the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, she's got to hide herself, she sneaks up behind him, the text says, touches his cloak and he's healed. He goes, whoa, wait a minute, felt the power go. (laughs) He was such a spontaneous giver, he didn't even know it. See, isn't that a beautiful picture for what the life of the church should be, and you and I could be too? Have you been around those people? I mean, there are people around us every single day. They see us, they hear us, they catch our spirit. We might not even see them standing there. If they're in your presence, if they're touching your cloak, so to speak, is there healing that happens? And is there healing that can happen? You bet there is through you and me too because of the God who lives in us. Jesus was a spontaneous giver. I'll skip to my favorite one. I have to cover this one and then I'll let you go, I promise. Moses, one of my favorite stories of spontaneous giving because this guy's reluctant. He's in the desert. He sees the burning bush and God wants him to go to Pharaoh. Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years. This is not the system. Egypt, been there, done that, not going back. Uh, I can't speak very well. He is reluctant. And do you remember, what does God ask him in the course of that conversation? Ask him a fascinating question. The Lord says to Moses, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses is sitting there. He says, I got a stick, staff, shepherd's staff. Now, a shepherd's staff just isn't a stick. A shepherd's staff is who he was and has been for the last 40 years. Be like a police officer's badge, a plumber's wrench, An accountant's calculator. How many can I come up with? And what does God ask Moses to do with that symbol of who he is and all he has according to his system? What does he say to do to it? The Lord said, throw it on the ground. And the symbol of all he had clutched in his hand He threw it on the ground. And then what happened? Something miraculous. It turned into a snake. And then what did Moses do? Didn't pick it up first. What did he do first? I love this because it makes me like, yeah, I know, you know, Moses, I get Moses. What did he do? He ran. Snake, run. No, 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 no. Come back, come back. You gotta be kidding me. It's a snake. And there's Moses who just thrown his identity down on the ground. God says, pick it up. (laughs) 
<laughs> see Moses picking that thing up? <laughs> and he picks it up, and his identity is restored, only it's different now because it's an identity that's restored after he threw it to the ground and gave it to the Lord. And it's such a powerful picture that God gives Moses. You're not doing this alone. If my people would only learn that when they give of themselves, what I will do supernaturally and ask when they take their, their new self back in the power of God, New Testament times we say, in Christ, there isn't anything that God can't do with a spontaneous giver. I read this week, um, system, a system helps make sure things happen and helps make sure that our giving is life service and not just lip service. You know, if, um, I don't know about you, but if I only wait until I feel uh, God's spontaneous prompting, if I only wait till I feel, uh, as Chris said in the skit, oh, the Spirit's leading me to give, I'm a very sinful person. If I only wait for that feeling, the chances are that I'm not going to give very much of myself because that strength, that power, that temptation to live life for self first is really strong. And unless I plan to do it through the ups and downs maybe of, uh, of feelings and emotions and promptings for spontaneity, I'm going to end up not just giving less, but remember, giving is an act of worship. I'm going to end up worshiping and experience who God is less if I'm only a spontaneous giver. And what about giving spontaneously? Well, a system helps make sure it happens, but spontaneity, it seems to me, helps keep it new and fresh and exciting every day. That's the downside of a system. It can become a rut, become something we don't even think of. You're just kinda, we just give. You know, a lot of you have set up a, you know, automatic withdrawal from a bank account each week. And it's like, well, you know, that's good because then um, you know, I won't forget. And I, I agree there's a strength to that. But again, even in a system, Paul says, on the first day of every week, think about it. To me, spontaneous giving helps us to think about it. So be systematic givers. If you haven't done it yet, begin today. It's still the first day of the week. Make an assessment of what God has given you in your life. Sure, your money, but boy, many, many more things. Decide what you're going to do with your time. How many hours of your time, maybe, are you going to give uh, coaching kids? I see my boy's baseball coach sitting over here, and that man gives more hours a week than many coaches I've ever seen, just volunteers his time. I bless you for that, Todd. Thank you for doing that. What talent do you have, and how can you find a creative way in order to give a talent? Take a weekly assessment of what you're going to do this week in terms of giving. And then be on the lookout for people sneaking up behind you to touch your cloak so you can spontaneously give. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are indeed love. And you've taught us, not just with words or talking the talk, but you walked the walk. 
that what love is at its greatest height is when someone gives of themselves even their very life for a friend. Father, because of that truth, there could be no more powerful witness of who you are than when your people give of themselves. Help us, Father, to develop and find this spirit of giving, this magnanimous spirit, this light that when people are around us, they go, man, she is so helpful. She just wants to help. She just wants to help us, Father. And through that, may people come face to face with who it is you are. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction this morning? The benediction comes from the only Italian prophet in the Bible. His name is Malachi. In Hebrew, we say Malachi. And we know from a different story in the Bible, Jesus is in the desert, and the devil tempts Jesus to test God's faithfulness to him by throwing himself off the temple corner. And Jesus says, you shall not test the Lord your God. Remember the story? Well, there's an exception to Jesus' words, and it's the only exception that I can find to don't test God in all the scriptures. Listen to what God says, and go figure, it's on the subject of giving. Paul says this to the Corinthian church, and he says to us today, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, God says, so that, my, so that there will be food in my house. And then God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings, so much blessing, that there won't even be room to store it. Test me in this, he says. Let's test him in this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a great day. God bless you all.